welcome to A Theater in the Dark's A White Whale, or Moby Dick. Our show is adapted from Herman Melville's novel and directed by Corey Bradbury. A White Whale was originally presented live on the internet in April 2021, with performers broadcasting in real time from Chicago. On the traditional homelands of the Council of the Three Fires, the Ojibwe, Odawa, and Potawatomi Nations, in addition to the Miami, Peora, and Kikapu tribes. From Vancouver, the traditional and unceded territory of the Musqueam, Tsleil-Waututh, and Squamish nations. And from New Orleans, the traditional territory of the Chitimaca, Choctaw, Hauma, Tunica, and Quixada tribes. To hear our show unabridged, or to hear other audio offerings, find us online at atheaterinthedark.com. Like most landsmen, you might be so ignorant of the wonders of the world that without some straight facts of the fishery, you might take this as a monstrous fable. I still sense you regard my tale as Moses in the plagues of Egypt. Imagine the rope line of the harpoon, only two-thirds of an inch in thickness, made of manila rope covered in tar and running through a thin groove in a boat. The common sperm whale line measures over 200 fathoms, or 1,200 feet. And what's more, the full-grown sperm whale skull measures at least 20 feet in length, and that skull is shaped in remarkable similarity to a battering ram. It's dead, Mr. Stubb. Yes, both pipes smoked out. To Mr. Stubb goes the honors of our boys, this first whale. Thank ye, Pip. He's no white whale of ours, but a nice warm-up. Cutting up that whale of Stubbs, dearly purchased, took the whole ship an entire day. You would have thought we were offering up 20,000 oxen to the sea gods. All in the chains. Let the caulkers go astern. Remember you who listens now. If you doubt a whale's intelligence to utterly destroy and stove a large ship, the sperm whale has done it. Ahoy, the Pequod! Ahoy! This is the Bachelor, a Nantucket ship. Shall we have a gown with your sailors? Jolly enough for the sights and sounds bearing down before the wind some few weeks later. Having just wedged in its last cask of oil and bolted down her bursting hatches, now in glad holiday apparel, the bachelor sailed joyous as she pointed her prow to home. Their mates had brought their horns to their hands. Ahoy, the Pequod! Come aboard! Have seen the white whale? No, only heard of them! Don't believe in him at all. Come aboard. Lost any men. Not enough to speak of. Uh, but come aboard, old hearty. Come along. We'll soon take that black from your brow. Thou art too damn jolly. Say along. Come along. We're a full ship and homeward bow. You say full ship and homeward bow. Well, call me an empty ship and outward bow. This is the Pequod, bound round to the Pacific, and if I'm not home in two Christmas, I'll... Ahab's horn fell out of his hand with a splash. It's mighty windy today, Captain. Round forward there. Up helm! Keep her off round the world! And while one ship went cheerily before the breeze, ours fought stubbornly against it. Our grave crew, lingering glances towards the fading revelry of the Bachelor. Rounding Africa's southern tip, we passed at last through the great South Sea, into the Pacific. 
There is a sweet mystery about this scene. Were it not for our grim resolution, I could have greeted my dear Pacific with uncounted thanks. For another year, I learned of whales, whale hunts, and whale boats. Sail ho! Sail ho! Aye, well now, that's cheerful. Where away, Mr. Starbuck? Three points on the starboard bow, sir, and bringing down her breeze to us. Better and better, man, if only St. Paul would follow along behind. Captain, sir, what's that flag flying? I mean, the colors down below. The colors of disease, Captain. The horn, quickly, I fear not thy epidemic. Come aboard! Hast thou seen the white whale? I've heard tales of ships whose sailors and captain and chief mates all died of a fever caught from a sick whale they had brought alongside. But not disease on the ship called Delight. As she drew close, all eyes were fixed on her broad beams, called shears, which in some ships cross the deck nine feet high. They carry each ship's spare, smaller whaleboats. Upon Delight's shears, the shattered ribs and splintered planks of what had been a whaleboat. You could see through it as plainly as the bleached skeleton of a long dead horse. Has seen a white whale! The hollow-cheeked captain of the Delight only pointed to that wreck. The harpoon is not yet forged that will kill Moby Dick. Not forged, Starbuck. Look ye, here in his hand, I hold his death. Tempered in blood and tempered by lightning is this rod, and I swear to temper it triply where the white whale most feels his accursed life, his heart. God keep thee, Captain. Their deck holds five coffins for sailors I wager were alive only yesterday. We sail upon their tomb. Race forward! Of helm. But the Pequot was not quick enough to escape the sound of the splash a corpse soon made as it struck the sea. We were still close enough some of the flying bubbles baptized our hull with a ghostly sickness. For another year, we continued in this way. The gold doubloon remained on the mast, its strange figures and inscriptions stamped on it. Ship ahoy! Has seen the white whale! A private parlay between two vessels, Ahab in one rowboat, the captain of the Samuel Enderby of London in another. Has seen the white whale? Do you this? Enderby held up an arm of sperm white whalebone, terminating in a wooden head like a mallet. Let us shake bones together, an arm and a leg. An arm that can never bend, do you see, and a leg that can never run. Where didst thou see the white whale? How long ago? I saw him on the line, last season. And he took that arm off, did he? Aye, he was the cause of it at least. That leg, too. Spin me the yarn, how was it? I was ignorant of the white whale when we lowered for a pod of four or five whales. He breached from the bottom of the sea, a bouncing great whale with a milky white head and hump. All crow's feet and wrinkles, and... It was he, it was he. And harpoons sticking in near my his starboard fin. they were mine, my eyes. I resolved to capture him in spite of the boiling rage he seemed to be in. Look here. The next instant I was blind as a bat. Both eyes fogged with black foam, groping at midday under a full sun. And the whale's tail, like a looming marble steeple. All raised harpoons and struck out. He caught my line in his teeth. The barb ripped along my flesh, cleared my whole shoulder clean. Lucky too, or I would have sunk down with it. Now, Dr. Bunga, What became the ship of the surgeon, white whale? After he sounded, we didn't see him again. 
Didst thou cross his wake again? Twice. But could not fasten. Didn't want to try. Isn't one limb enough? What should I do without my final arm? That whale doesn't bite so much as he swallows. Well then, cut off your left arm for bait to get the right. No thanks, Ahab. He's welcome to the arm he has, but not to another one. How long since thou sawst him last? Which way heading? Bless my soul, Dr. Bunga. Bring this man a thermometer Mass for his boiling blood. Which way heading? He was heading east, I think. You there? Hey, follow oh, me? Is your captain crazy? Ahab did at times give careful heed to the condition of that dead bone upon which he partly stood. Yet one thought failed to enter his monomaniac mind. Life is non-equal parts of grief and joy. Face set like a flint, and with his back to the foreign rowboat, Ahab stood upright until we came back alongside the Pequod. The deck, first night watch. Carpenter standing before his vice bench, carving a new peg leg from ivory. Drat this file and drat this bone and damn me for working with dead materials. This bone does it. Why, it's... It won't let me speak. Well, man-maker. Just in time. I'll mark the length for your leg. You wear out your replacements too easy. Measured for a leg. Oh. Well, while you're at it, I'll order a complete man after a desirable pattern. Fifty feet high. Chest like a mountain tunnel. Legs with roots to stay in one place. Arms three feet thick at the wrist. No heart at all. Brass forehead with a quarter acre fine brains. Let me see. Shall I order eyes to see outwards? No! Put a skylight on top of his head! There's the order! <laughs> What's that sneezing about? Whalebone's rather dusty, sir. Take the hint, then. When you're dead, never bury yourself under living people's noses. <laughs> thou art a blacksmith. What else wert thou making there? I Welding an old pikehead, sir. There were seams and dents in it. To make all smooth again after hard usage. <laughs> How do you not burn from the fire? Oh, I'm scorched all over, Captain Ahab. Past scorching, you can't scorch a scar easily. Thou can smooth almost any seams and dents, never mind how hard the metal. All seams and dents but one. Look ye here, then. Look ye here, here on my brow. I'll lay my head upon thy anvil. Can ye smooth out a seam like this, blacksmith? If thou can, I'll fill thy heaviest hammer between my eyes. Answer! Canst thou smooth this seam? Said I not all seams and dents but one. That's the one, sir. Remove thy head. Aye, it is the one. It is the unsmoothable, for though thou only see it here in my flesh, it is worked down into the bone of my skull. That is all wrinkles. Ahab's cabin, Starbuck to him. The oil in the hold is leaking, sir. We must up Burton's and break out. Up Burton and break out. Now that we are nearing Japan, heave to here for a week to tinkle a parcel of old hoops. Either do that, sir, or waste in one day more oil than we may get in a year. What we came 20,000 miles to get is worth saving, sir. So it is if we get it. I was speaking of the oil in the hold, sir. And I was not speaking of that at all. Be gone. Let it a leak. I'm all a leak myself, yet I don't stop to plug my leak. What will the owners say? What cares Ahab? Owners. (laughs) Owners. The only real owner of anything is its commander, and my conscience is this ship's keel. On deck! Captain Ahab, a better man than I might- On deck! I do entreat. Shall we not understand each other better, Captain Ahab? 
Ahab seized a loaded musket and pointed it at Starbuck. There is one god that is lord over the earth and one captain that is lord over the Pequod. On deck! For an instant, in the flashing eyes of the mate and his fiery cheeks, you would have almost thought that he had really received the blaze of the leveled tube. Ahab, beware of Ahab. Beware of thyself, old man. He waxes brave, but nevertheless obeys. What's that he said? Ahab, beware of Ahab. Thou art too good a fellow, Starbuck. Few that's gallant sails and close reef the top sails, and break out into the main hold. It may have been mere prudential policy or a flash of honesty, but the burdens were hoisted. Thou sea charge! Thou tells me where I am, but cannot tell me where I should be. Canst thou tell me where some other thing besides me is this moment living? Where is Moby Dick? This instant thou must be eyeing him. These eyes of mine look into the very eye here which eyes him I, and I alone see his eye. Oh, foolish compass, what can it do but tell the hand that holds it where it is on the planet? No longer will I guide my earthly way by thee. The ship's level, the captain's log, and the harpoon's line will show me my place on the sea. Aye, thus I split thee! Standing beside the mainmast, Starbuck watched both the Pequod's tumultuous way and Ahab's as he came lurching onto the deck to toss his compass into the ocean. Mr. Stubb, I have set before fierce, dense coal fires, but after they wane down to ashes, what remains but one little heap of the dumbest dust? Aye, but Ishmael, sea coal ashes are not your common charcoal. Ahab acts right. Live in the game and die in it. Shorten the sail! That's the peculiar order of a Parmaceti. A whale must be near. Next day, a large ship, the Rachel, was seen bearing directly down upon the Pequod, all her spars thickly clustered with men. Bad news. She brings bad news. Has seen the white whale! I recall the captain's words even now. Aye, yesterday! Have you seen a whale? Where was he? Where was it? We were engaged with a shoal of Parmesini. Yet in swift chase, the head of Moby Dick loomed up out of the blue water. Our spare boat gave chase and fastened him and was towed out of sight, but nothing. Fastened, but not killed. Not killed? Whoever heard of a whale ship cruising after one missing little whale boat in the height of the whaling season? For God's sake, I beg for eight and forty hours, let me charter your ship. I will gladly pay roundly for it. My boy, my own boy is among them for son. eight and forty hours oh, only. It's a son he's lost. What says Ahab, we must save the boy? He's drowned with the rest of a man. You have a child too, Ahab. My boy, my little lamb, twelve years old. I will not go till you say hi to me. Do to me as you would have me do to you run, in the light case. Run, men now! Stand by to square run, on the yards! Run the rope yard! Captain, what if Pip were to fall overboard? Avast! I will not do it! The whale's moved on, and even now I lose time. God bless ye, man! And may I forgive myself. Mr. Starbuck, you are relieved of the watch. Mr. Flask, race forward. Let the ship God himself us. is against the old man! Forbear! Tis an ill voyage, ill begun, ill continued! 
let me square in the yards while we may, old man, and make a fair wind of it homeward, to go on a better voyage than this. All your oaths to hunt a white whale are as binding as mine, and heart, soul, and body, lungs, and life, old Ahab is bound. And that ye may know to what tomb this heart beats, look ye here. <sighs> Thus I blow out the last fear. The two ships diverged their wakes. As long as the strange vessel was in view, she stopped at every small dark spot on the sea. By her halting course, you plainly saw this ship, so wept with spray, remained without comfort. And when three or four days after meeting the children seeking Rachel, and no spout had yet been seen, the monomaniac old man seemed distrustful of his crew's fidelity. And rightly so. He would have shot me once. Yes, I hold the very musket that he pointed at me. Ahab's cabin, Starbuck revealed, standing over him, with Ahab's musket in Starbuck's hand. I will have the first sight of the whale myself. Ahab must have the doubloon. Oh, Moby Dick, I clutch thy heart at last. Wait. I'll cure myself of this. I'll hold it while I think. I come to report a fair wind to him. But how fair? It's a fair wind that's only fair for that accursed fish. And he would have killed me with the very thing I handle now. Has he not said he will sail through any storm? Has he not dashed his compass? Shall this crazed old man be tamely suffered to drag a whole ship's company down to doom with him? Makes him the willful murderer of over thirty men if this ship comes to any deadly harm. And come to deadly harm, my soul swears this ship will if Ahab have his way. Yes, just here. He's sleeping. Sleeping. And alive. And soon awake again. Then I can't withstand thy magnet, old man. I stand alone here upon an open sea with two oceans and a whole continent between me and law. I, I, tis so, just a little touch. And Starbuck may survive to hug his wife and child again. Yes, for Mary. But is there no other way? No lawful way? Does heaven murder when lightning strikes? And what about you? Could you have done it? Thank you for listening to A Theater in the Dark's A White Whale or Moby Dick, adapted from the novel by Herman Melville by Corey Bradbury. Tonight's show was originally presented live over the internet and performed by Elizabeth McCoy as Ishmael, Mac Gordon as Starbuck and Stubb, and Robinson J. Cyprian as Ahab. Nick Montopoli created our original music, soundscapes by Mac Gordon with Corey Bradbury. Special thanks to Bethany Daigle, John Olson Communications, and Solana Oliver. 
I've been your stage manager, director, and sound engineer, Corey Bradbury. The White Whale or Moby Dick was produced by myself, Mac Gordon, Jake Kaufman, and Bridget Chief Grace. A Theater in the Dark creates stories through sound, and we're just a couple of artists that love storytelling. If you enjoyed the performance, please tell a friend or post about us on social media. You can also find on-demand streaming options of our audio plays and can support us directly through our website, atheaterinthedark.com. And thank you for supporting Chicago's A Theater in the Dark. Welcome, everyone. This is Corey Bradbury. I'm the adapter and director of A White Whale, and I have the pleasure of speaking today with Mac Gordon, who played Starbucks, Stub, a couple of other characters, and is also a co-founder with The Theater of the Dark as well. Welcome, Mac. Thanks, Corey. Nice to be here. You played a lot of different roles, literally, but also wearing a lot of hats for this production. And you also, I should have mentioned, designed many of the soundscapes that we hear throughout the show as well. Yeah, that's right. It was quite the project that we undertook and you and I kind of wore a lot of hats in it and pretty happy with how it turned out. Yeah, why don't we start, um, if you want to talk about maybe how you approached the soundscapes versus the performance, because we were performing, all of the actors were performing live with each other, but then the soundscapes were layered in and different forms and fashions. Did one influence the other for you as an actor and as a designer? I think I thought of it mostly as a designer, not primarily, not more importantly, but first. So when I was first kind of approaching the script, I was trying to hear those soundscapes in my head, the waves, the times when the boat might be more heaving and rocking, what it might sound like if there was perspectives that traveled kind of through the atmosphere of space to make a three-dimensional landscape of sound. Right. And I know that another thing we talked about at length with both this and our other audio projects have been, how will people listen to it? Some people listen at home on big speaker sets. Some people listen at headphones. Um, and now it's especially as it's becoming a podcast out into the world as well. And that's always been really fascinating to hear how people are receiving and, and what kind of visual barriers or worlds people create for themselves while they listen. Yeah, totally. I think, I think of, uh, Uh, a lot of the audio work that we've done over the pandemic as being like the most intimate thing that you can possibly do because instead of being on a stage bouncing your voice all around the walls you're actually right up in someone's ear speaking right into their brain and soul. How did you manage that? Um, Elizabeth did talk about, and also RJ spoke about being in your sound booth at home and having to connect with other actors and imagining the vast openness of the ocean while you're in this small DIY home studio booth that you converted over the year. How did you access that sense of the world And then especially playing, going back and forth in the earliest scenes from Starbuck to Stub to Starbuck to Stub in real time. How did you create that reality for yourself? Yeah, mostly with my eyes closed. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Truly in the dark. It's, it, it really is like a, um, a experiential ride of the imagination. So both for the audience or intended for the audience and also for me as a performer, especially in that scene where I'm playing the opening scene where Starbuck and Stubb both come in was very much a physical way to imagine myself. So I would move from the right side when I was talking as Starbuck to the left side when I'm talking as Stubb. It helped me to kind of transition and make those two characters be in conversation with each other. 
I also kind of thought a lot about, especially for that establishing scene, how to make their voices distinct from each other, but still authentic to me speaking naturally about whatever it was that they're fighting for and whatever it is that their objectives are that they're pushing towards. And I should also mention that, you know, it may not be noticeable to the listener, but much of the show is written in blank verse. But you have an interesting track because you go back and forth like Stubb speaks, for example, in a lot of open prose, but Starbuck, on the other hand, is usually speaking in some kind of verse. Did that impact your delivery at all? Yeah, I think so. I mean, Starbuck, I found the best way to distinguish him from Stubb was to play him more formally. And the blank verse really helped to do that, to kind of set the rhythm and the meter so that he sort of drives through to the end of his sentences. Whereas Stubb, I found I could have a little bit more flexibility and fun and sort of jabber around and say some things a little less clearly and kind of have him uh, make a couple more jokes and try to have some subversion of expectation with what you think he's going to say and what he ends up saying, because that's kind of the kind of character he is. You think he's this rough around the edges, like for lack of better word, I think in contemporary terms that he's kind of like the jock and Starbuck is kind of the intellectual. But then Stubb ends up having a lot more sympathy and empathy with his fellow castmates, both acting-wise and ship-wise. I kind of felt Stubb more and thought Starbuck more. Oh, that's interesting. And that makes a lot of sense, especially given that Stubb has much more of the, well, in many ways, he is the comedic relief as you go through. Did Mm -hmm. that also, were you thinking about like within the grand drama of this too, like how to find those moments of levity? Um, somewhat. I kind of tried to steer myself, especially for Stab, away from thinking of the bigger picture and to be a little bit more immediate within whatever it is that's happening around him. Whereas with Starbuck, he's really trying to hold the whole ship together. And so when playing Starbuck, I definitely thought more about being concerned with every single thing that had happened in the past and everything that was going to happen in the future. And over the course of the three years of the Pequod's journey, condensing it down into 80 odd minutes, what was the most interesting part to you of Starbuck's internal struggle as it grows and shifts over this journey? Definitely the biggest challenge with Starbuck was making some of those jumps. So to go from being in the beginning, in a place of fully trusting Ahab to then jumping like months later, where all of these thoughts of mutiny may have begun to blossom within him, you don't really get the chance to play the transition. You have to play the change. Mm. So you start off in one place, and the next time you see him, he's in a completely other place. And it's also so much fun to hear you just vocally as a performer go to like the captain of the Enderby and then back to Starbuck. And and I mean, especially in the real time chronology of it, I was always very impressed hearing it each night of your nimbleness, being able to switch from drastically different characters. Well, and then there's so much to do with the actual dynamics of space in the booth itself, you know, when you're playing Enderby and you kind of got to go way back here in the booth so that the sound has a different quality to it. And when you're doing Doing that over a live radio show or what was recorded live, it's just so much more challenging than it is when you're in person, which is what we're transitioning back towards now, where it's like literally it's going to tell an amazingly different story, the dimension of space. If we were to do this live to have uh, Stubb be, you know, coming from your left side and Starbuck coming from your right side. 